Welcome to listeners, it's time for another episode of the Slump Buster Podcast. I am your host, Juju Time Sports, and now on today's episode, Kyle and I go through his updated NBA Power Rankings, we preview the New Year's Six Bowl games, and give our predictions for NFL Week 17, RIP John Gruden. But before we do that, folks, we need you to like this video if you're watching on YouTube. We need you to leave a five-star review if you're listening on iTunes. Subscribe to this channel as we push towards 2,000 subscribers, and most importantly, folks, we need you to sit back, bust the slump, and enjoy the episode. Kyle Ledbetter, as we record here on the 29th day of the 12th month of 2021, it's only appropriate I ask you, what is your New Year's resolution? What is my New Year's resolution? This is a great question that I have not thought about. Maybe next week. It can't be to lose weight. I mean, you're already too skinny. If I was like a Mexican grandmother, I'd be forcing food down your throat. (laughs) My grandmother, my my, uh, Portuguese grandmother definitely does the same thing for me at uh, 88 years old. She forces food. Doesn't matter, though. I've got a very strong metabolism there. You know, this could be an opportunity to to break out my Belichick. (laughs) That's... That's an appropriate thing to transition to. God, did you see that one lady who asked him after a loss his New Year's resolution? I don't know if it's bold because Brady was out there. I wish I had the balls of that lady to ask that question. But seriously, (laughs) read the room, lady. Come on. I like like that she had the gall. Yeah, basic journalism here. I mean, remember sitting in press conferences. I would never even after a loss embarrassing loss like that come on really in fairness to the lady whatever her story was going to be it's now infinitely more interesting because she's now a national story because Belichick had to say well maybe maybe next week one step at a time he should have like answered though honestly he should said our new year's resolution is to not lose to the bills because who knows that matchup may come up again down the road we should bring up the fact that it was not only a loss for the Patriots there's an argument to be made it was the worst loss of the Belichick era because for the first time in 390 games as Patriots head coach the Patriots did not force a single punt they did not force a single punt the entire game I know the score was only like 10 points but Buffalo I can tell you easily 11 points left on the field Emmanuel Sanders drops a touchdown on fourth down and pass interference in the end zone doesn't get called leading to a field goal can give you 11 points right there that the Bills left on the field and Buffalo should have obliterated the New England Patriots in that game. So I know the score was only 10, but Buffalo should have won that game by like 28 points. So imagine coming out of that a 28 point loss and Belichick at a press conference after a 28 point loss. Again, a game where they could have locked up the AFC East. Just don't do it. Just stay away. Stay away. This season has been just so all over the place. I haven't done my power rankings yet as of this moment, but I imagine that top 10 is going to shift around quite a bit. I think the only one I'm so confident at at the top is leaving the Packers in at one. That's probably the only thing I can for sure guarantee before I get in there. I had the Chiefs at two last week. The Chiefs had jumped back up there. Obviously, the rumors of their death were much exaggerated by myself and many in the media. So 
but uh, not they're me. back now they're back to two yes but i will give that me. one to you i will give that one to you yes they are back the chiefs are back the main thing is now they're just blowing out teams now they're back to doing that so coming off the games they had against the giants coming off the games they had against the jordan love packers you couldn't blame me for being a little bit hesitant to just say oh man another year another mahomes thing and then just everyone else in the afc decided to just be all over the place being the most fickle group of teams there is as far as making up their mind whether they're a good team or a bad team it's just so hard to read this year and i'm okay with it i'm okay with it it brings more intrigue obviously we have a lot of great stories right now developing in the nfl before we get too into the nfl topic though speaking of power rankings you did just drop your most recent nba power rankings this week and we haven't talked in a couple weeks so i think we might as well kind of like take a look and see what's going on currently so your top 10 lines up as this at number 10 you have the mavericks number nine you have the lakers number eight you have the 76ers heat at seven bulls at six five the jazz bucks at four suns at three nets at two and warriors are sitting around as the number one team so they jump back over the suns we have them of course they did win on christmas day this week so this will be the most interesting talking point here we've had many conversations about the lakers here on this show obviously but now they're sitting here as a 17 and 18 team after christmas day when the real season begins according to many nba experts and you still have them as a top nine team care to divulge the details here so in this world of covid that we live in in this world where the last two weeks just nba regular season games don't matter at all but the last two weeks of regular season games really don't matter at all in telling you who's gonna play greg monroe showed up to a timberwolves game and the guy who dropped 30 on the celtics he just didn't know who he was like just showed up unsigned you know all these names that i forgot were in the NBA or back in the NBA, whether it's Darren Collison or Isaiah Thomas is back, Joe Johnson's playing at this point. Like, take that out of the picture. The COVID part will pass because at a certain point outbreaks are going to slow down ever so slightly and those players are temporarily out they're probably going to come back where I've had a difficult time doing analysis this year is long-term injuries is injuries that we know are going to be keeping people out for a long time and how do you factor that into the power rankings for example the Denver Nuggets are 10 on that list the Denver Nuggets probably have the MVP of the league again this year Jokic won it last year and he's probably going to win it again this year. I know Steph Curry might win it for the narrative story. And sometimes we do narrative stories in the MVP. But if you look at player efficiency rating, wins above replacement, Raptor score, which is all nerdy shit that I don't want to explain. I'm just going to say it to make myself sound smart. All of this stuff, Jokic is dominating everyone in the sport in all of those statistics but because Michael Porter Jr. is out for the season and because Jamal Murray's coming back from an ACL last year and he's not playing every day there's only so much he can do uh the Los Angeles Clippers I think they dropped more than anyone these two weeks they they went down to like 13 and I think them and the Blazers were the biggest drops because Paul George might have to have Tommy John surgery and our UCL is either the one in the thumb or the one in the elbow. I think it was apparently it's both. Elbow. I found out this week with Jimmy Garoppolo, apparently it's both because UCL is definitely an elbow injury. I've heard whenever yeah. players have Tommy John surgery, it's an elbow injury. It's a UCL injury. And then I find out with Jimmy Garoppolo dealing with his thumb injury that yes, in fact, a UCL is involved there. I'm not a doctor. I don't play <laughs> one on TV. I don't play one on this podcast, but yes, apparently UCLs 
balls can be located in both the thumb and elbow. Yeah. So I think the Paul George one is the elbow. And if that's the case, like remember when Justin Verlander during the pandemic, he said he had UCL tightness and that he was going to reevaluate and pitch. Uh, I remember hearing a podcast where they're like, no, he's going to have Tommy John surgery. And then two months later, he had Tommy John surgery. Uh, Mike Clevenger for the Padres. They said he had UCL tightness or UCL inflammation. And then two months later, he had Tommy John surgery. So if Paul George has a torn UCL, he's probably going to have Tommy John surgery and be out for the year. And so if you take out Kawhi Leonard and you take out Paul George, well, the Clippers have absolutely no chance at this point in the season. So they'll start free falling because the Clippers, I have to uh, take into account that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George aren't there. This is a long way of getting to saying with the Lakers, Anthony Davis is going to be back, right? Right. It's only a four to six week injury, but then Anthony Davis is going to have another injury and another injury. And we're going to keep calling him street clothes like we did last week. Like it's so difficult to figure out what to do with the Lakers, because if all three of them are playing together, I know it hasn't looked great this year. I know the Russell Westbrook thing is getting the Internet riled up. And every time he misses a shot, everyone talks about how they need to trade Russell Westbrook, because that's what NBA Twitter is now. Yeah. And then also realizing that no one probably wants Russell Westbrook or there's not a reasonable trade partner. Yep, just because of his gigantic contract, there there isn't a super reasonable trade partner. But I still think it's going to work out. I think those three together might not be the Warriors, but they can be the Suns. And if you have one Warriors injury, then maybe they, they slide in and weird stuff happens. Like the Lakers still feel like the third best team in the Western Conference only because I don't trust the Jazz. I refuse to trust the Jazz and I'm not allowed to trust the Utah Jazz. It's the same rule as the the Las Vegas Raiders is every time you think the Jazz are good, they are not. Don't worry. The Jazz are going to fall apart. The Jazz are going to jazz. It always happens. But I still think those three players, even though Russell Westbrook isn't an all-star anymore, Russell Westbrook is still a top 40, 50 player in the NBA. And yes, they don't play great defense. And yes, the Lakers have issues with depth that they're going to try and move around. And I assume Taylor Horton Tucker will get traded in the next couple months and all of that. It's just really hard to pin down the Lakers right now. And so nine feels like, yeah, they could win a playoff series against Dallas. They could win a playoff series against, I don't know, the Portland Trailblazers or the the Memphis Grizzlies. Because even if you take out Anthony Davis, having LeBron James still can get you to maybe the second round of the playoffs. It was about to get them there last year until LeBron got hurt and Anthony Davis tried to play through an injury in the playoffs. So I guess nine is about the second round exit group. And I guess that's kind of where I value the Lakers right now. But where do you value the primetime games? Like they just lost a game on Christmas day against a Brooklyn Nets team that didn't have Kevin Durant, didn't have Kyrie Irving, just had James Harden out there playing 36, 40 minutes. And Patty Mills putting up 30 points. Did you watch any of the the Christmas game? Because I I caught it right at the start. Mostly the highlights. I was unfortunately working at the time. Oh, totally. Of course. Like uh, you are a crazy person who is now deep into the journalistic empire here. But uh, (laughs) the point of that being is I saw the start of the game and and they showed the starting lineups for the the Christmas game. And I saw the Lakers had Taylor Horton Tucker, Wayne Ellington, and Dwight Howard 
in the starting lineup. And I saw that. I'm like, oh God, this, this is going to be so but that bad. problem's not going away, man. This is the team that they signed up for. That's the biggest thing. Why when people look at this team and see you defiantly having them in the top 10, they have their questions. They're raising a few eyebrows and yes, we can pick apart each of these teams here, but I will just for reference, mention the teams that currently have a better record than the Lakers that are currently behind them in your rankings. The Wizards, we've talked about the Wizards. We mentioned the problems with the Wizards. They have fallen off hard since their hot start to the season. I'll be okay with moving on past them. The Clippers, you just mentioned it. Paul George now having an injury in addition to the fact they already had Kawhi Leonard out. That makes sense. That's probably the biggest reason to have them below the Lakers at this given time. The Charlotte Hornets, they are only a game up on the Lakers, which I guess it depends on how much you buy into the Lamella Ball rise, Miles Bridges, that little team that they're building together. They're starting to feel like a nice young team. But Don't forget I- that tennis playing Gordon <laughs> Hayward who just comes in and averages 22 points every now and then. Good old Gordon Hayward. Uh, yeah, our old friend out there in Boston. We probably wanted a little bit more, but I guess after the horrible injury that he experienced in game one of his Boston Celtics tenure, I can't really hold too much against him given that. Um, and the, so, yeah. the the second time where he got hurt in the bubble and it was like, will he play? Will he won't play? And then they lost the Miami Heat in the conference finals, even though they should have won that series. That too. I will probably put that one on Jason Tatum as much as, uh, well, hell at this point, I don't even know what to make of the Celtics. To be honest, <laughs> I don't know what to make of Jason Tatum. I don't know what to make of Jalen Brown. To, could, to the point yeah. on the Hornets though, not to get too sidetracked. LaMelo Ball's a great story. The other day I was trying to figure out, couldn't name more than five players on the Hornets. I tried to figure out who else is playing for them. Apparently, Ish Smith is getting significant minutes. Oh, Terry Rozier. I think we're up to five here. Oh, oh, we can get Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, LaMelo Ball, and I'm forgetting one. In, oh, Gordon Hayward. So what about Jello Ball? Jello's still out there, right? Yeah, Jello's really going to take down LeBron James. I'm really afraid of that in the power hey, bank. LeVar Ball called it. He said he had the most dynamic trio out there. And to be honest, he, he didn't really lie too much. He actually has a good little set of kids out there. LeVar Ball, good there, dad or bad dad? Uh, LeVar Ball, flawed dad. It's a flawed dad. I mean, gained three kids to the pros. I mean, at a baseline there, high floor dad, very high floor dad. His ceiling can be a little questionable at times, but I'm going to say good dad because he supports his kids. And I think that that's a really cool thing from a fatherhood aspect in itself. I haven't heard his dad joke game, so I can't judge him on that fact, but dad bod game, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Let's see. Denver Nuggets also currently behind the Lakers at this time. Uh, still have the MVP on their team. Denver's a team that I did kind of want to put over the Lakers, but I think Denver was like 15 in the last one because Denver had like an eight game losing streak and Jamal Murray had a back injury. So I think this is more like market correction for the Nuggets who's allowing them to go back up to number 11. But I was low key tempted to put the Nuggets over the Lakers because as much as the Lakers injuries stink, I can look at Denver and say, well, their injuries aren't going away because Michael Porter Jr. is gone now and they just gave him $40 million a year. So not great. These are a couple fun teams that are currently ahead of the Lakers in the standings, but behind them in the power rankings. So this one, you have to answer to our own Drew Hagenbaugh here. The Cleveland Cavaliers are currently 20 and 14 at this moment. As of two power rankings ago, I believe when he commented below, you told them do it for longer. Well, they've done it for longer. Cleveland Cavaliers, are we not giving them enough respect? 
Uh, did they move up like three or four spots? I think this week from two weeks ago. It, you it currently feels have them like... at fourteen. So the last time you did a rankings update, they were sitting at seventeen. So they did jump up three spots. So you are improving them based off their previous week projections. But at this point, they are starting to trend up towards being closer to ten than they are to twenty. So 14, if we take this as like a macro level picture, so 14 technically means they're kind of in the first round exit group. Remember when we did those tiers at the start of the year, mm-hmm. Cleveland Cavaliers were in the group that would be exiting in the first round and still kind of feels like where Cleveland is at this point is in the end, they'll be like a six or a seven seed. They might have to go through the play in round to get there. Uh, the good news about being nuanced is that when Cleveland inevitably loses four games in five and falls down to the seven seed in the Eastern Conference, they're not going to fall that far because they're still probably better than the Celtics. Sorry, Juju. I don't know how that's possible, but they're still somehow better than the Celtics. We could get into it a little bit here, but go on. Yeah. So the, the Cavaliers have been much better than expected this year. I think declaring them a top 10 team is really jumping the gun, even though they're the fourth record in the Eastern Conference right now which I think is only separated by like a game or two it was really close this week like I feel like I put like four eastern conference teams or five eastern conference teams in a row and five western conference teams in a row like it feels like the Cavs the Hornets the Wizards the Celtics the Hawks they kind of all feel like they're in the same group right now they're all different versions of the same team in terms of they're gonna lose to the Nets they're going to lose to the Bucks. They're going to lose to the Heat, but it'll still be fun for them to get there. Maybe the Hawks, they, they made the conference finals last year, so it might be a little bit disappointing for them. But Cleveland feels like they're now in that group, and that's a huge improvement. I did not see that coming this year. I thought Cleveland would be somewhere in the bottom 10 with the same 10 teams that are all terrible in the NBA this year. The bottom 10 is really bad in the NBA this year. Yeah, let's talk about one that's less apples to oranges here. Let's talk about one that's directly in the Western Conference the Memphis Grizzlies who are sitting at 21 and 14 currently at this point in time. And you not only have them behind the Lakers in the Western conference, you also have them behind the Mavericks and the Nuggets. Uh That one might just be as simple as Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic versus John ja Morant. Ja Morant. Yeah, no uh, disrespect. Sounds to like ja a little Morant. disrespect. I mean, just in terms of how you view them against those players, which yes, they are great players. But we're talking about third-year John ja Morant. And yeah, John ja Morant coming on. John ja Morant is an all-star, and Jokic and, and Luka are MVPs. Luka is the face of a generation that John ja Morant is like an all-star level player in. Like Luka is. Is it just because Jaws and Memphis, though? Can Jaw no, get to an MVP level? He was drafted as a number two overall pick in the NBA draft. It's so hard to find MVPs years down the road, but in his generation, absolutely. I think John Morant is that group that's going to be like Hall of Fame level good. He's not there right now. He might get there. Memphis probably needs another star around him so that they can win more games and give him MVP considerations. But John Morant's a perennial all-star in the Western Conference. That's really hard to do at 24 or 23. Is John Morant 22 or 23? I mean, he's really young. And the fact that he's a perennial all-star in the Western Conference is, is, yeah, he's 22 years old. That's really remarkable. I think it just has more to do with how great Jokic and how great Luka Doncic are on similar type of teams. I think those three teams are very similar right now because the Nuggets' second best player is Jamal Murray and their third best player, mm, who is it? 
Is it Aaron Gordon? Because that's that's never great to hear if it's Aaron Gordon. And for Dallas, the second best player might be Tim Hardaway. And the third best player is Porzingis. And Luka Doncic has the highest usage rate in the NBA for the second year in a row. Memphis is in this weird place now because Memphis almost made the playoffs in Jaws rookie year in 2019 in the bubble. They lost the play-in game to Portland. So they were like, almost in the playoffs kind of in the playoffs because they did that play-in game in the bubble had to face Damian Lillard at the peak of his powers when he was the most hottest he's ever been in his career yeah Phoenix ended up winning six games in a row and just because how the regular season finished Memphis got into the play-in game and got slaughtered by Portland instead of Phoenix so you know Memphis probably wasn't a playoff team that year but they were close like they were close to being a playoff team last year they snuck in as the eight seed they beat the Warriors in the play-in game it's like they're taking little steps forward it's like they're they're getting incrementally better every year with more experience the same thing happened to Luca last year where in the bubble Luca went six games with the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. And there was that crazy game where he hits the step back three pointer at the buzzer. And then the next game they lost by like 40 and it's like, okay, they probably should have lost that series easily. And then last year they went seven games with the Clippers should have, could have, would have won the series. If Luca doesn't have a back neck injury in the couple games in there that he has to miss. And so they get incrementally better. And then maybe this year, Dallas finally wins a playoff series. They're probably not going to beat the Warriors. They're probably, Probably not going to beat the Suns, but maybe they win a playoff series. The same thing kind of is happening to Memphis, where they got to the play-in round, won in the play-in round, and then lost in five games to the Jazz. Maybe this year they get to a seven-game series against the Jazz. Maybe this year they get to a six-game series against the Suns. They're getting incrementally better, even though the record is really good right now. I will give them that. They are seven games above 500 in a really tight Western Conference. So if we're still having this conversation two weeks from now if their record is still better than those teams what does that say about them uh it says memphis might be better than i thought and maybe memphis is slightly ahead of schedule does it mean they'll probably still lose in the first round to the lakers or lose in the first round to the jazz entirely possible but it still means that the memphis grizzlies are getting closer to that ultimate destination i think that the way the grizzlies improve now is by getting a second best player better than jaron jackson or getting a second best player better than dylan brooks because those players are usually players you used to acquire a better player than Jaron Jackson or a player better than Dylan Brooks. It might be a couple of years before they become the type of player you're looking for. But if you're going to put John Morant in the best position to succeed, maybe you go get a Bradley Beal. Maybe you go get a Fred Van Fleet. Maybe you go get someone who is slightly better than those guys as a better compliment to John Morant. That's probably how the Grizzlies jump over <laughs> the Mavericks and the, the Nuggets as like a, and get closer to the Jazz in the top 10 is probably by adding another player better than Dylan Brooks or Jaron Jackson. They are just coming off a win against the Phoenix Suns. That's new data. That's after your power ranking. So I won't necessarily put that in this discussion here, but notable win. That is a big win for them. Let's just briefly touch on it because you brought them up. The number 17 team in your power rankings this week, the Boston Celtics. And from my perspective, 
I mentioned this before. It seems like either Tatum could have a good game, Brown can have a good game, but they can't have good games together. Brown has been injured, dealing with the COVID most of the season. We've had COVID hit our locker room, like most NBA teams, like you mentioned, having to bring in guys who are 40 plus years old off the streets to just come in and, I don't know, just shoot around with us. It's been an embarrassing year so far to this point for this team. Obviously, when you have two superstar talents, or at least what we consider two young developing superstar talents and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you certainly expect to be better than the Cleveland Cavaliers. You certainly ex- expect to be better than hell, even the Washington Wizards, as, at least record-wise. But this is not new data. Last year, they were a 500 team kind of scrounging around that record most of the season. They just haven't really been the same since, as you mentioned, that Miami Heat series in the bubble. That was their last real shining effort between this team, obviously getting blow things up too with Danny Ainge now in Utah, Brad Stevens now in the front office, Ime Aduke now in the head coaching position. There's been a lot of changes and not necessarily for the better. And this is just ultimately a flawed roster and it's going to end in the ultimate trading of either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum because they're similar to where the Philadelphia 76ers were a couple years ago, except not as good, where we have come to the point where Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, how far can we get with these guys as it turns out with the Celtics and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum we found out how far they can get and the furthest they could get was the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat uh the best thing they're doing this year was game like Al Horford who I guess if you're going to speak about Brad Stevens front office acumen that turned out to be a good deal because even though Kemba went off a few nights ago Kemba has largely been a bench role player for the Knicks ever since going there and then you, you talk about Dennis Schroeder getting him at the bargain deal that was just being right place right time when it came for the Celtics and he's been good for the team whenever certainly Brown or Jason Tatum have had to be out of the lineup for any particular time but you're not going to get him back on a seven million dollar deal next year the Celtics are in that mid-tier hell that affects a lot of teams and I don't know what necessarily is going to be the turning point because they don't have the same draft capital they did a few years ago. And the only way they're going to get more draft capital is, as I mentioned, by trading one of these premium stars here or desirable assets that other teams would want. And it's disappointing. It's disappointing because this is a team that we've thought for years would just be in that conversation. Big brand, big team, big market, big players. And it just doesn't seem like it. Uh, I, I always push back when people say big brand, big market with the Boston Celtics, because that, that hasn't quite been the case. There the has last been championship years. parades for the last 20 years in Boston, my friend. Oh, I just Boston, meant the Boston Celtics because NBA as a whole, you know, they have that in the culture at least, as well as many other poor habits of sports fans. But either way, neither yeah. here nor if, there. If you take out that three-year run with the big three, it, it hasn't been much in the last 30 years. And the only uh, the only major free agents who, who want to sign with the Boston Celtics are usually white guys. But that's just a weird NBA trend of the past few years. They did wow, get Kemba Walker. Wow, Al Horford, disrespect there. And Kemba. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Fairness to Al Horford, but he's also from the Dominican Republic. So it's, it's different when we talk about the race history of America. So yeah, Kemba Walker did though. And that's kind of the reason why people get fired and why you restructure a front office and a head coaching staff, especially when you've made a conference finals in the last two years and you made it three times in four years. Yeah. That's what's the thing about Brad. Why people were so high on Brad is yeah, we're not winning the championship, which that is a lofty expectation year in and year out to weigh whether we win the championship or not because only 
only one team can hoist the championship, especially when you're trying to compete for one in the peak of the Golden State Warriors dynasty, in the peak of LeBron James, winning a championship is quite a monumental task given that. But then you look at Brad's history too. Obviously, you were up three games to two on the LeBron James-led Cavaliers that last season there when Kyrie was sitting on your bench, or actually he wasn't sitting on your bench game seven because he decided to get no surgery that day. Yeah, I don't forget. I don't forget. Uh, You had the Isaiah Thomas year where he just kind of came out of nowhere going into that finals. Of course, we expected to get smacked by the Cleveland Cavaliers that had Kyrie, LeBron, Kevin Love, all doing their best, all in their primes or relatively in their primes when it came to Kevin Love. You just didn't think it would be that bad. Your best opportunity was ultimately the Miami Heat bubble year. The Miami Heat were the hottest team, no pun intended there, coming into that playoff situation, but you were a better team than them. And I think as a Celtics fan, just seeing Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler always balls up in the playoffs when it comes to the Celtics. So I kind of expected it to be a poor matchup for them, but there was the moments like the uh, finger block there by Bam that really just kind of stick out to you. And especially when it comes to a broader Jason Tatum discussion, whether or not he's truly going to be that MVP caliber asset that the Celtics have for the next 10 plus years, because he's had a lot of moments where he could have win them games especially playoff games and he hasn't he has that mamba mentality without that mamba finish yeah and jason tatum is is in this group with the the emerging youth generation he's kind of somewhere as a tweener because jason tatum's not really in his prime yet i guess he's still developing but he's been in the league for a while now his think about Tatum as he has more tools in his tool belt than other guys in that class that are shining. He should always be better than a Trey Young, to be honest. Trey Young's a small point guard that, yes, his shooting acumen is fantastic, but Jason has so much more in his bag to work with just from a size standpoint alone that he should not be falling behind that group. I don't even think he is falling behind that group. I think he is kind of in that group. It's just weird because of his age. He's kind of a weird tweener in between the two generations and because his rookie year he was like the second best player on a team that was one game away from the finals which never happens to rookies so Had it's that weird. huge dunk on LeBron James is he falling behind that group John Moran or Jason Tatum today you're probably leaning with Tatum if I'm not mistaken it's close I'd go Tatum but it's nitpicking like those two are kind of about the same because with Ja you would say he's been elevating a Grizzlies team that shouldn't be there whereas with Jason he's had good tools to work with in Boston there's good pieces around him Mm -hmm. and yet the team is falling short of expectations particularly the last two seasons well this brings it back to what I was talking about before with Stevens and companies like so how do you go from a front office and a coaching staff that makes three Eastern Conference finals in four years. And then two years later, everyone's gone. How does that happen? And it usually, not Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's an easy scapegoat. But Kyrie Irving did do you guys in a little bit. But it's not Kyrie Irving's fault. It is the fact that the reason we thought the Celtics would be here for years and years was because they had so many first round picks 
And when Kyrie Irving left, so much cap space. And what did they do with it? They did not trade for Anthony Davis. They did not trade for James Harden. They signed Kemba Walker to one of the worst contracts of the last five years in the NBA that they had to then attach a first round pick to to dump onto the Oklahoma City Thunder. What did they do with all those draft picks when they didn't trade it for a bona fide star or even like a Harrison Barnes? They wouldn't even trade those picks for a Harrison Barnes type. What happened was they drafted Aaron Neesmith. They drafted Peyton Pritchard. They drafted Grant Williams. They drafted Robert Williams. They used all their draft picks and none of them turned into Terry Rozier, which was kind of just a really lucky draft pick that they hit on at pick 16 that turned into a 22 point a game guy. And none of those picks hit the way like Toronto hit on Pascal Siakam or found Fred Van Fleet undrafted or found any of those guys in there. None of them turned into what Gordon Hayward was. None of them turned into what Terry Rozier is, which is like even like a a top 50 player in the NBA. Just none of those late first round picks developed into top 50 picks. And there's no shame with that. Like it's really hard to hit on late first round picks and have them develop into all-star caliber players. I will say that was Steven's shining part of his resume the fact that he was able to get c or d players to play like b players sometimes even a players in the case of isaiah thomas his mvp vote season and that part of his game at least in the last season didn't seem to be there obviously again the celtics were a 500 mediocre team and so far to this point it doesn't seem to be there with Ime Adoke. now i guess i have to give him the benefit of the doubt similar to our discussion should i give steve sarkeesian the benefit of the doubt he's a first year head coach give him time but and they didn't do anything to improve the roster this offseason dennis schroeder the was team. a good person to pick up i mean for his flaws he was still one of the more desirable assets on this most recent free agent market and just somehow slipped through the grasp of many of teams dropped the bag as they say when it comes to his Lakers contract and ended up in Boston and hey great pickup by them great being at the right place right time but you're right it wasn't enough and I would say if there's any trades that I truly bemoan the Celtics for not pursuing Kawhi Leonard when he was on the market to go to and went to Toronto I think that that was one of the ones that I truly look back on and say Jalen Brown at that point in time for Kawhi Leonard that is a deal that could have happened should have happened Jimmy Butler when he was available Anthony Davis is a hard one do I think Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving would have been the right mixture of ingredients to get us to a championship Anthony Davis's dad said that we're not going to Boston yeah so it was a flawed trade beforehand that's is what it is going into that possible trade scenario in fairness though the thing I always argue on that is you could have done it anyway even if Anthony Davis leaves after two years, you could have had two playoff runs with Anthony Davis. Even if he says he's not coming, you could have done it anyways. Potentially, but is that really a needle mover? Because you talk about playoff runs. They had a playoff run in 2019. 2020 think, was bad, on, but they did at least about have it a playoff way. run in 2019. Think about it this way. If you did make that trade in that bubble series, not only would you have had Anthony Davis against the Heat, Anthony Davis wouldn't have been on the Lakers, who you would have faced in the NBA Finals potentially. True, but do we even make it to the conference finals with Anthony Davis? That is the question because I do think that him and LeBron were ultimately a good fit. When he comes to the Celtics, what Anthony Davis are we getting? Obviously, you mentioned potentially his heart not truly being in it because he never wanted to go to Boston, whereas he wanted to go to LA. And we've seen when Anthony Davis checks out mentally, he checks out physically. 
And that has had a negative effect on the teams he's played for, particularly that New Orleans Pelicans team in his last season with them. And what we're starting to see as the heat starts to grow on him now with the Lakers. Yeah, no, you're right. It could have not worked out. I, I like to think it would have worked out better than the shitstorm that's happening now in Boston, but, but it's at still... Least it's a shitstorm, yes, but it could be a shit category five tornado if you traded away, let's say multiple first round picks, traded away all these assets, and you still didn't get a title out of it. Well, the the sad part is they kind of did it anyways, because instead well, of trading the first packs and you still have the same team, but if you trade into a hole like all of Brooklyn Nets, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, then you feel a little worse for the wear because the Nets had a really bottom out. And I guess that's okay. Maybe in a year or two, that's where the Celtics are. Maybe we just have to bottom out. Maybe we just have to start really going into the lottery and seeing if we could pull pieces from that. The problem with that is how do I keep Jalen happy? How do I keep Jason happy? Whoever you keep, you have to keep Ooh. them happy so they don't also want to leave Boston as well. So you have this to keep is a this fun team game. somewhat yeah. viable. You don't want to just say, okay, we're just going to be the uh, Philadelphia 76ers of a couple years ago. No, we still want to be somewhat competitive, but we also want to get good players. It's not a game that too many NBA teams really succeed with because there's a limited amount of top tier players out there that you can acquire in the trade market or become available. And then you always have to evaluate with Boston. Yes, we always talk about California's high tax percentages. Uh, Boston, Massachusetts isn't much better. And also cold winter environment. There's always these other factors that you have to throw in there when it comes to talking about the Celtics. You mentioned their propensity to not acquire high level free agents. That still is there. And who's next on the market? Who's the next person to become available? And can the Celtics legitimately make a push for that person? That is where they're at. And it doesn't really feel like they're in that position. So they're just kind of caught in this trap. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely correct. And this is the interesting game that you play now if you're looking at what your options are from this point forward. Because you you missed your window of opportunity. That the, the window of opportunity is gone for Boston at this point. Unless you really think Jason Tatum is going to become three-time MVP face of the league player. If you really think he's going to be that guy, then okay, fair enough. Like you can hold out hope there and maybe Tatum doesn't want to leave in free agency in four years. Like maybe Tatum decides he wants to spend 15 years in Boston like Giannis did. Like, okay, maybe that's a best case scenario if and only if Jason Tatum becomes this amazing player. And by the way, even if he doesn't become that player, you should probably still keep around Jason Tatum as long as you want to have Jason Tatum there because he's really good at basketball. The Jalen Brown one is interesting because you only trade Jalen Brown for a player better than Jalen Brown at this point. And maybe that's a way to get slightly better. But like you said, I think their only way to get back into the big game of the NBA of trying to compete with Kevin Durant and compete with Giannis and even compete with the the Miami Heat and Joel Embiid's Philadelphia 76ers because those three teams specifically the Bucks the Nets and the 76ers definitely have players better than Jason Tatum right now and Miami's weird because Jimmy Butler is kind of in this weird place but they also have three or four all-stars so they're kind of like a weird strength in numbers team that I don't know what to do with exactly Miami's very confusing at this point but Boston their thing is to get back into the game you might need to find a player better than Jason Tatum and you were talking about the Brad Stevens thing about how he was great at like taking C and B list guys and turning them into a type of players I think the reason that that stuff 
stopped is because they didn't need an A type of player anymore. They didn't need someone who was taking more shots than Jason Tatum. They didn't need someone who was taking more shots than Jalen Brown. They kind of wanted to complement those two guys. And that's the role they put Peyton Pritchard in. And that's the role they put Grant Williams in. And Robert Williams still now is the starting center. And they they tried to to fit those guys around. They drafted Aaron Neesmith as Tyler Hero type. Yeah. Like that's basically I mean, what Robert Williams is certainly one of the Boston Celtics fans. We go back and forth on quite a bit. Grant Williams has his moments. He's gotten better. He's an efficient shooter, which is the best thing I could say about him. But yeah, you talk about guys like Neesmith, who was supposed to come on strong. He's totally in the crapper now. People are talking about sending him down to the G League at this moment in time. Yeah. Peyton they Pritchard, uh, he's yeah. you know, a tough, gritty guy, but you're, you're not really getting much out of him either. But again, he um, was like the 24th pick in the draft. So like you're yeah. not expecting that no, much. No, no. Certainly and- there's a huge teardrop off when we talk about the NBA draft in terms of the talent you could get in the top five versus the talent you get at 25. The tough thing I see is also just from a schematic point of view when it comes to the Celtics you just have so many players that are fighting against the offense and the defense that they should be running the fact that they are a top five isolation team when they don't have that efficient of scores the fact that Jason Tatum is playing like Kevin Durant without Kevin Durant's efficiency I think is definitely detrimental to the way this team really plays the fact that instead of driving to the basket Jason's doing so many fadeaways away from the basket has really kind of hurt his numbers particularly early on in the season and then with Jalen, it's just been injury concerns. He's been banged up with hamstrings, ankles, COVID, and there's just been no continuity. And that's been a big talking point with them is, oh, we just can't get any continuity. Somewhere what's going on with the Lakers. Oh, we just can't get any continuity with all these guys in and out. But at a certain point, this is a two-year sample size. This is not just isolated to the season. So your team just is what it is. And what it is, is just a mountain of mediocrity that the fans and even some media personalities that have no association with the Celtics are just frustrated with because they tied their ship to these guys were the next up and coming sensation in the East. They tied their ship to, it would be Milwaukee and the Nets and the Celtics would be up there. And now you're just seeing the Atlanta Hawks make a Eastern conference finals out of nowhere where the Celtics well, are struggling to make the playoffs. Uh, the, the Hawks, the Hawks took advantage of a one in 778. I'm just doing that as a dig team. at my own team. I'm just doing his own self depreciation humor the fact that that's the case understandable but I, I i was looking back at the power rankings like i have the celtics 17 right now and I, I was looking up here and i'm like well who are teams that i would have the celtics above and i'm like well at the start of the year i probably would have said that the wizards would not be better than the celtics but if you took it on a base level basic level would you rather have bradley beal or jason tatum I'm like, uh, it's kind of, kind of a toss up. It's kind of so, probably Tatum because he's younger, but and right now it's more cohesive too than the Celtics at this point. Say what you want about the Lakers castaways, but they at least provide that team a little bit more of a balanced dynamic. The Celtics are just so all over the place. You mentioned those other guys that are role players on this team. They're not playing their role either. And that was the big part of the Celtics whenever Brad Stevens was at the height of Brad Stevens-ness, his ability to get the most out of those guys, those role players. People were proclaiming him the next Greg Popovich. And And sadly, that was a mistaken (laughs) legacy there. 
No. I would not be surprised if you told me somehow, some way Brad Stevens managed to end up back as the Celtics head coach at some point in the near future. Yeah, because you know how Brad Stevens is going to get fired as general manager or president or whatever it is of the Celtics if he can't acquire a player better than Jason Tatum. And if he can't acquire a player better than Jason Tatum, the Celtics are going to continue to get bounced in the first round and maybe make a second round before they get bounced by the Bucks or the Nets. Like They either wait for Jason Tatum to get better or they go out and get a player better than Jason Tatum. And also, it's really hard to find players better than Jason Tatum available on the open market. Hey, Nicola, you want to go back to a place that's similar to Eastern Europe? Boston has kind of like <laughs> that same kind of like thing. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just throwing out possibilities out here. Don't listen to me, but you know, just John, John, come on, Memphis. Can't be in Memphis. Come on, Dame guys. Lillard could throw Dame, Dame Lillard in. There. Uh, yeah, that. Well, that's don't don't uh, don't tease me with that one, man. That that one. Uh, that one really. <laughs> you might you might have I to go trade Jalen Brown to make that one happen. I, I go to sleep at night and I have some faint, distant dreams of Damian Lillard sinking game-winning shots for us. Yeah, I would trade Jalen Brown and for Damian Lillard in a heartbeat. But that's a whole other controversial discussion in the land of Boston Celtics fanhood there. It's the only way to turn things around is to find a player better or as good as Jason Tatum. That is the only way to turn things around for the Celtics. Yeah, horrible defensive team, but I'm here for it. At least it'd be a fun team to watch rather, whereas this team is just not fun to watch at this current point in time. Okay, let's move on from the world of the NBA. Let's move off the hardwood. Let's move on to the gridiron. Has anything changed in your college football projections since we last discussed it on Sunday? By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, check out the YouTube channel for our Michigan, Georgia our Cincinnati, Alabama game previews blowing up guys, blowing up. We're starting to get a little bit of virality there. So go ahead and check those out for record's sake. I picked Michigan. I picked Alabama. Kyle picked Alabama and he picked Georgia. So we're disaligned just in one game. Anything changed since Sunday? Uh, nothing's changed in the big games this week. I was, uh, was planning. See, I'm, I'm down here in San Diego. So I was planning to go to the Holiday Bowl yesterday. And I found out four hours before that the uh, the game was canceled. The so. fifth college football bowl game that is canceled because of a case of the Rona. It's uh, unfortunate, but at the same time, I don't give a damn. I, I hate the bowl games. I, I've mentioned yeah, it before. But I just... today, today's our victory one where today's the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which means that either Mac Brown or Shane Beamer is going to get waterboarded with mayonnaise after the game. I guess that's the only thing. Who was it talking about taking a tequila bath? Oh, Bob Stoops. If Oklahoma yep. wins their ball game, Bob Stoops was talking about taking a tequila bath. And his response was whether that was PC, that was up to code was what are they going to do? Fire me? Yeah, that's totally fair. Bob Stoops is just do it. But I love this story, by the way. Like, I know it's not, it has nothing to do with the big games that like actually matter. Like it's Oregon and Oklahoma. Both of their coaches are gone now. Like it's Oregon, Oklahoma playing in the Alamo Bowl. But Bob Stoops just doing the program a favor. He's just like, yeah, sure. He's just like an on-call manager at this point. Oh, you know. Lincoln called in. All oh, right, I guess I'll just head in today. Yeah, because Fox doesn't have to do their pregame show anymore. So he's just like, sure, whatever. I'll just, <laughs> I'll come in and coach these guys. He's like meeting them for the first time, or many of them for the first time. Because he's like, hey, I'm Bob. Great to meet you. We're good. We're just going to go play this game, get this money for the university and go home, whatever. I wonder what Bob Stoops is going to do when the UFL comes back or the XFL comes back. Because I know he was coaching one of those teams, which I thought one of them 
was mostly just a favor to Vince McMahon when he was coaching the Dallas team there. I kind of wonder because it seems like he still has that desire. He still has that love for football to want to coach. But obviously, it's a weird thing because he was somewhat of an icon at Oklahoma. So for him to coach another college team would be somewhat dismissive of his legacy there. I think if he does do anything, it would just be these like minor league (laughs) football teams at this point. I will say, though, Mac Brown is about to get waterboarded in mayonnaise at the University of North Carolina. So at a certain point, there is enough money that will say your legacy at another program doesn't really matter. Yeah, you could just go steal money like less miles from Kansas, too, at the end of the day. Yeah, Bob Stoops could get another job if he wanted it. Like one of these poor souls would hire Bob Stoops. I think Bob Stoops is like, why would I want to go coach at Vanderbilt? Why would I want to go do that right now? I'm not good enough to coach in Oklahoma, but I'm also not good enough to, to coach in the NFL. So I don't, I also don't want to go coach Vanderbilt and be miserable coaching Vanderbilt. So I guess I'll just do commentary and just show up for Oklahoma, whatever I want. Chris Peterson's kind of doing the same thing at Washington, which is like, I kind of like being retired. They keep asking me to come back and coach. I kind of like being retired. It's, It's a nice perk when you're the face of a program that went to one college football playoff. Screw it. Let's just rapid fire these picks here. Penn State, Arkansas. Arkansas is a one-point favorite. Uh, Wampum Boys, Arkansas. Let's go with the Wampum Boys. Giving that one to old Pittman out there in the Outback Bowl. I'm with it. Let's go with Arkansas. Obviously, Penn State doesn't have a dynamic offense there. All right, this is a fun one. Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy versus Notre Dame in the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. Two and a half point favorite is Notre Dame. Of course, they only have the one loss on the season. Oklahoma State coming off that gold line stand against Baylor in the Big 12 Championship. Gundy. I'm going to go with Notre Dame. I'm going to give them some love. I think Marcus Freeman is going to make a big statement in his first game head coaching out there. This is the once every 10 years that Gundy wins a big bowl game. (laughs) Uh, In the Verbo Citrus Bowl, number 15, Iowa will be facing the number 22, Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky is a three-point favorite despite being eight spots down in the rankings themselves out there, or seven spots down in rankings themselves out there. Uh, I think this is just an indictment on Spencer Petrus that Kentucky is a favorite, even though they're lesser in the rankings. Uh, I'm going with Kentucky. Yeah, Yeah. I got Kentucky. They have a really dynamic passing game. That's been the big thing about Kentucky. The fact they're a 9-1 team, they've turned around their football program. They're starting to get all cylinders rolling out there. And they gave Mark Stoops a contract that says if you win just seven games, you get a contract extension of one year, which is excellent. That's an unheralded story in the SEC. Kentucky starting to become a thing. They can only get get so close but they've done they've done a really good job in the transfer portal era of bringing people in there's also a fun stat that mark stoops is now the second longest tenured coach in the sec yeah i mean the thing about the sec is that at the end of the day that it's a very results oriented business if you're not getting results you gone Kentucky doesn't care. They're like, you can win eight games. That's amazing for us. We won eight games in eight years back in the nineties. This is fantastic. I feel like Vanderbilt would give you job security because Vanderbilt really doesn't care about their football program. Yeah. They, they gave Derek Mason like five years and he won like five total conference games. So kind of, they also hired a, I think their coach now was a former Vanderbilt player. So he'll get at least five years at Vanderbilt. You're allowed to just do random stupid stuff. Obviously you're able to just sign soccer players 
players off the street to kick for you. That's the only notable thing about the Vanderbilt program. And you got baseball. Yeah, but at least. least at least Vanderbilt and Kansas just fully acknowledge we don't give a shit about football. They're like, we'll take the football money and then put it to building the best basketball program, or in Vandy's case, the best baseball program. At least like, they know how to allocate those resources <laughs> accordingly. Yeah, they fully admit we don't give a shit. We'll just go get smacked by everyone in the SEC and collect our $300 million from the SEC television contract. The Rose Bowl. Kyle Whittingham's perhaps his last game going against Ohio State. Ohio State is currently a four and a half point favorite. You know, I'm going to go emotional here. I'm going to say Whittingham, if it truly is his last game, this is the best game of the Utah Utes you're going to see out there. They go out there and they upset Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Never, ever bet a college football game with a team that thought they were going to make the playoff and then got screwed. Like, you never know what the emotion is going to be going in. There's a joke every year that Georgia would be the five seed. They play in the Sugar Bowl every year and they just get destroyed because they just didn't give a shit about being in the Rose Bowl. I think Texas beat them one of those years. I think Texas won a Sugar Bowl because Georgia just like, yeah, whatever. We were supposed to make the playoff. We <laughs> that lost. That was the, the year that that's rem- that's right. That was the year that Bevo almost speared Uga. Yeah, and Sam Ellinger had the "We're Back" video, and then yeah, you know they lost to Kansas. So they Sam Ellinger's back, but we'll get into that one there. Yeah, Sam Ellinger is back at this point. You can't. This isn't this isn't a visual medium, but I just hit Juju with the horns down. It just depends how unlazy I am at editing video. I'll take Ohio State just because I don't know they like four players opted out CJ Stroud's still playing the game might get canceled because of COVID I'll, I'll take Ohio State whatever that would be a dark time in college football if the Rose Bowl gets canceled to COVID last year they played the Rose Bowl in Dallas like it's, it's I know it's just it's one of their standing games their shining games you know and light of all the chaos it is, here it was the longest tenured bowl game first second being the Sun Bowl which again I think took Central Michigan and had them hop on a bus through your county in New Mexico Mexico to go over to El Paso. Yeah, for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, right? That's what it's that, that is now. correct. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, where it is guaranteed that if you win, that your your bath is not Gatorade; it's Frosted Flakes. It's great. That was actually yep. better, Tony, than I was expecting. I'm actually happy. That was that, that was pretty good. That was that was pretty good. Uh, what's it called? That game is the pregame show for the college football playoff this year. That game's at nine. The college football playoffs at twelve thirty. So you can pregame the college football playoff with Washington State and Central Michigan. We had the Big Twelve champions, the Baylor Bears, going against the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, Ole Miss is currently sitting at a one and a half point favorite in the All State Sugar Bowl. Dave Aranda, does he have? Have his Baylor team ready to take out Ole Miss or is analytics going to win the day with Lane out there? <laughs> I was going to do analysis on this game and then you mentioned that they're the Ole Miss Rebels and I totally forgot that was still a thing that they still call themselves the Rebels because that for people who don't know that is a reference to the Confederacy and I did not realize we were still doing that. I forget about it every now and then because they do the like shark thing to like distract you from that. Rebels um, is a flexible thing. I mean my dad his soft team was the rebels back in the day yeah but this is mississippi we're talking about mississippi they're doing it with intent i'll take baylor in the game i don't know what's what's the line for the games probably like a pick one and a half you know what i'm gonna go with lane i'm gonna go with lane and ole miss out there i I think that at least at the end of the day they have the better quarterback actually is matt corral playing i don't know i don't care (laughs) i mean that's the point does matt corral care either i mean and matt corral doesn't (laughs) care because i mean he's talked about his probably the best quarterback to get drafted this year yeah sure uh we don't care about the quarterbacks either this year because they're 
well, we'll, booty care, ass we'll care when they we'll care when they get to the NFL. We'll talk about them for like six months in the off season. Like it actually well, matters. Watch, they're gonna all be better than our 2020 class that was supposed to be the most heralded quarterback class. And yeah, do you know NFL how furious history? I'm gonna be if the Steelers just miraculously walk into another great quarterback in the in this draft? I'll be like, I just dumped on you for two years for not picking the quarterback, and then your first try you get a you know, 10 year quarterback. I'm gonna be so pissed if that works out for this angry Kyle is a funny Kyle though I think we get a lot of good content out of angry Kyle so I'm okay with angry Kyle you can hear me just like be flabbergasted at how stupid the New York Giants are twice this week on take it easy you can hear me twice rant about how stupid the New York Giants are the Giants are a frustrating watch there Okay, well, that's the New Year's Day. We already went into it. Like I said, check out our game previews for the college football playoff on our YouTube channel. Let's get into the mainstay here. Week 17 of the NFL season. Kyle, I'll let you pick the games this week. So hopefully these bring in plenty of views, plenty of reactions, plenty of thoughts as our Miami previews tend to do because (laughs) apparently just Miami fans just love to tune in and watch Kyle just shit on them for 10 minutes. Whereas I'm ever the optimist here talking about our seven game winning streak. I'm adopting you. I know you see the Niners album in the background, but just know deep in my soul, Miami, I'm with you here. I I still don't know the fight song by heart, but I'm with you. Oh, you mean Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. They run the ball from goal to goal. Like no one's ever seen. See, I'm just bowing down to Supreme leader to a tongue of Iloa. See, you know you brand me a hater because I still say the Dolphins have a 0% chance of making the playoffs. And now they're in the seven seed and it's amazing and it's incredible and I love it. For people who are listening to this on audio medium, there's, there's a video somewhere on the YouTube accompanying it, but I'm wearing my teal shirt, my teal beanie. I am fully embraced in the Tuanon camp here. I am a full-fledged member of Tuanon and uh, to, we need to do something. We need to take action here as part of Tuanon. We need to stay stage an uprising in some way, shape, or form. I don't know what that means at this point, but yeah, we are pro Tua and the Miami Dolphins and Jalen Waddle giving me 22 fantasy points to help me win my fantasy semifinal by two and a half points. I needed every single Jalen Waddle catch and damn it, if I didn't get it to help me get to my championship game. At this juncture in time, Tuanon is truly stronger than the Lumasante. Glad we could convert you, my friend. They are three and a half point favorites though, going into Tennessee. Tennessee, of course, coming off a big victory against my 49ers on Thursday Night Football because Tennessee's not dead. Now they have A.J. Brown back, and A.J. Brown's really good at football. Julio Jones is back, only to injure his hamstring once again. Um, And Derrick Henry is just around the corner. Maybe, maybe. We'll see if the Titans can officially lock up that AFC South this week. Big opportunity for them to do it, given what's going on with Carson Wentz in Indy. Another game we'll get into at some point. Miami, though, they are back in the playoff picture officially. They are officially, as of today, as of this recording, as of Wednesday, the 29th of December, the number seven team in the AFC playoff picture, jumping ahead of the Baltimore Ravens and a quartet of other teams for that potential spot. One in seven, one in seven to eight and seven is one of the most remarkable stories I've seen in the history of this great game of football. And truly, it obviously is the first time that that ever ever happened and yes they've gone very lucky they've gone very lucky with the scheduling how it broke down obviously ian book starting for the saints on monday night ian book poor kid just gained 
absolutely destroyed out there. But the big thing about this Miami Dolphins team is they're led by their defense. They're top five in so many defensive categories, sacks, pressures, passing game. They, they, they are truly an elite unit. At the end of the day, the Dolphins are only going to go as far as Tua can take them, though. And Tua, he made some good throws against the Saints. He had some really good throws. That that one, I think it was to Gasecki, the over-the-shoulder deep ball that he threw. Different white tight end, but also a Gasecki. He is a Gasecki, but he's not the Gasecki. I believe it was Mac Hollins. <laughs> okay. Matt Collins, either way, that was just a phenomenal throw that any quarterback makes that. If Patrick Mahomes is making that throw, everyone on Twitter is blowing Patrick Mahomes over that one. Credit to Tua. He's been able... <laughs> wow, whoa, whoa. That was a little sus there. But anyway, no, no, no. No, uh, no. I mean, we are certified <laughs> Mahomes here. We are certified Mahomes, or at least I am. But yes, Tua had some great moments in that game. The thing about it, we learned in the Jets game, though, if he has any of these dumb turnovers, that's going to be one of the big things that unravels them. And for the Titans' credit, they've been a pretty good defense throughout the year. They're able to get pressure. And the fact that they're able to generate a pass rush is concerning when you're talking about this Miami Dolphins offensive line. As good as the Dolphins have been, as much as they put it together, their offensive line is still a big problem for this team. And their running back core of Miles Gaskin, Duke Johnson, Malcolm Brown. It's not a great running back core. Their best wide receiver, as you mentioned, is Jalen Waddle. He's the best, most reliable asset. I think he's going to set a record for catches for a rookie season. He, he is indeed going to, which is a little cheap because I think Jarvis Landry also has the most receptions in the first three years of anyone's career. So it's a little cheap because <laughs> Miami yeah. Dolphins receiver for Miami Dolphins receiver. A soul yeah, Miami a Dolphins soul have been running a check down offense for 25 years now. They made a great decision, though. They said, OK, Alabama receiver, high end receiver. We need to get someone around to us. Uh, they went out there, obviously spent money in free agency. They were hoping Will Fuller would have turned into a thing for them. Devontae Parker still there. So they had some solid offensive pieces to work around there when they came into the year. And let me get your thoughts on this take, though. I've seen some people on Twitter calling for, and this is a far cry from how the season started, Brian Flores, coach of the year. Yeah or nay? <laughs> oh, I remember that when they were one in seven, everyone wanted to fire Brian Flores. I'm like, you're not going to be able to find anyone better than Brian Flores. Like idiotic to talk about it, but coach of the year. No, no. It's just a fun story because the reason it's not going to be the case is because yes, they beat the Ravens on Thursday night football when they just blitz the entire game. And one of the best defensive strategies of the year is the Ravens have no offensive line. Let's just blitz every single time and credit to Brian Flores for having the gall to blitz Lamar Jackson every single time like credit to him for being willing to do that other than that it's Texans two Jets Carolina Panthers New York Giants and Ian Book that is the seven game win streak it is a whole lot of crap and it's allowed their defense to allow 11 points a game you mentioned two and the dumb interceptions he had one of those against the Saints he threw the ball down the field and they freeze it on the broadcast and the receivers wide open and he throws it behind the receiver by 10 yards if you want to go like Pythagorean theorem maybe it was only like seven yards but it was like five yards that way five yards up and the safety just comes over is like all right thank you like it was two has had some atrocious picks and the Mac Hollins play was awesome it was big for Tua and that was kind of about it I watched most of the game I don't usually watch full Monday night games when the when the teams aren't good but as I mentioned I was in a fantasy football championship and I needed 22 points from Jalen Waddle so I watched the entire game whoa and your fantasy football championships in weeks 
2016? Uh, semifinal this week. And then okay, I was gonna say championship like, next. That's week. odd. We were just giving shit to people to play fantasy football championships in week 18, week 16. What are no, you? No, my season would have been over if I had lost the game. But it was it was the semifinal. I played the championship this week. Uh, dull. It's okay. Anyways, uh, the point there is Miami is kind of the team we think they are, and I think that they're gonna need to win both games to get in to the playoffs. And Miami is not a playoff team this year, but they still might sneak into the playoffs, which is a pretty cool story for them. Their defense has gotten better. That's a big deal for them because it looked like everything was falling apart at the start of the season with their defense, but it's been a really, really good run for Miami. Now on the flip side for this game, the Tennessee Titans currently have, and I'm going to try and get this right here. So Julio Jones, Westbrook Aquina, Bud Dupree, Buster Screen, Caleb Farley, Nate Davis, Taylor Lewan, and backup offensive lineman Kendall Lamb all on the COVID list. So they themselves have a little bit of a COVID outbreak going on right now. Wow. The continued demise of Julio Jones in that trade. This has just been a horrible season for him. Okay. Well, let, let's get into it. Let's get into our game picks here. Let's let's talk who we're going with here. This is a fun game here because I, I think because I'm up about three or four games on you. with Picked up two this week. Play. Picked up two this week because of some odd injury situations and COVID situations here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. I, I should have picked the Buffalo Bills. I'm disappointed in myself for not having the gall to go with it, but I'm going to pick the Dolphins and I'm going to have to force you to decide whether or not you're willing to try and make up a game or go against your beautiful boys down in South Florida. See, here's, here's the problem here. I, I'm in too deep. I'm in too deep, Kyle. I cannot would, go off of this train now. Would I you remember- say you're in to a deep? Uh... <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am going with the Miami Dolphins. Tua Nun, our supreme Lord and Savior. Tua Tung Loa! Should we move on That's to good. the next game? <laughs> Let's move on to the next game. All right. What What's the next game we want to dive into here? Because, you know, hard to come down off of that one there. Well, there's a, there's a few good ones in here. Would you like to talk about the Vikings and the Packers next? Because I find this game to be supremely interesting. Ooh, yes. Let's talk about the Vikings and the Packers. The Vikings, the last time they played the Packers, got a huge victory. Kirk Cousins on fire. And he had to be every bit of it because Aaron Rodgers, four touchdowns, great passing day. One of his best days of the season, Aaron Rodgers, as he moves closer towards that MVP. He finally jumped uh, Brady in terms of the Vegas projections on who was going to win the MVP. And at this point, it's just hard to disagree with the numbers. I mean, over 40 passing touchdowns, like four interceptions on the year. Aaron Rodgers having another phenomenal season. It'll be his fourth MVP And the Packers, of course, this is their opportunity just to Lock it up. Lambeau, playoffs, number one seed. Let's get it done. We just have to beat the Vikings. And I mean, the Vikings, though, this is what your season comes down to. Because, <laughs> yes, you could probably beat the Bears in week 18, but the only way you're really making it in the playoffs, because you have to jump some teams now at this point, is you have to beat the Packers. So uh, there is some desperation in the Viking season. There's also some desperation for the Packers in the sense they want home field. They want to just make sure that they don't have to go anywhere. They could get comfortable they're undefeated in Lambeau this season as it currently stands they're seven and oh there Matt LaFleur another great year for him too uh he's the first coach in NFL history to have over 12 wins in his first three seasons there 
great pairing. Talk about great head coaching and quarterback pairings there. LaFleur and Rodgers has been a truly dynamic duo that if you're Rodgers and we talk about all these trade situations and all these going on, he's going to be in Green Bay. I'm going to say it definitively right now. He's going to stay in Green Bay. He has it too good. You have it too good out there at this current point in time. You have Devontae Adams. You have the decent receiving core, you know, with MVS, Lazard, Rodgers, these guys that they put around him. You have one of the best offensive lines of the game, one of the better defenses now that they put together. Aaron Jones signed on for a three-year deal last year. You have a good core around you and you have a good head coach. Uh, the Green Bay Packers entered this game as six and a half point favorites at home. Like I mentioned, they're undefeated there. And I am not one to say that the Vikings are going to sweep the Green Bay Packers in a year. So I'm going to get it out of the way. The Green Bay Packers will in fact be my pick. I was going to say the same thing uh, when you said that the Vikings need to beat the Packers to get into the playoffs is that they have to beat the Packers again. And people forget that the Packers have only lost three games this year. And it's kind of weird because it's it's been a weird run for Green Bay this year because it feels like they're kind of in this group of teams that are kind of like we think they're really good. But then you look up and you're like, wow, they've only lost three games. And one of those was the Jordan Love game against the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's like, oh, they've really only lost like two games this year. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is probably going to win MVP again. And it kind of snuck up on us. We kind of just had to give the MVP to someone this year. And, and Rodgers definitely is, is going to walk away with it at this point. So Green Bay has been a weird team up to this point in the season, but they are, they're, they're actually good at stopping the run now. I did not realize that Kenny Clark was a pro bowler this year. They're actually, you know, th- this was their problem for the last two years when they lost in the conference championship was they cannot stop the run for shit. And now they can stop the run pretty well so that has helped them out tremendously still the best secondary in the NFL Aaron Jones AJ Dillon dynamic running back duo Devontae Adams Aaron Rodgers like this team is so good and Aaron Rodgers does have it great but is that what Aaron Rodgers values do we know that Aaron Rodgers values having that team and not having the freedom to make roster decisions in Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers maybe that's not what Aaron Rodgers wants at this stage of his career I think we learned based on his vaccination status Aaron Rodgers definitely likes having control of his own life yeah Maybe that's what Aaron Rodgers values at this stage in his career is going to a a Denver or a Las Vegas where he gets to make personnel decisions and where he can help allocate money with playing with his friends. And that'll be similar to what Tom Brady did in Tampa. And that's how they'll build a winner is Aaron Rodgers recruiting people to come play with him. And hey, they gave him Randall Cobb, man. They did give him Randall Cobb and now Randall Cobb's out for the season. So, you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers wants to take it a step further than Randall Cobb. Who knows? But we'll figure that out in the offseason, I guess. What's interesting about this game is Minnesota's defense has really struggled. And yet in the first game, it didn't matter because Kirk Cousins had one of those Kirk Cousins games where he had 130 QBR. And it was so weird that they beat the Packers. And if not for a drop pass at the end, they probably win that game. The, the, The Vikings do need this one to make the playoffs and I think they're going to lose I'm taking the Green Bay Packers as well and so their only path to the playoff is if the 49ers or the Philadelphia Eagles lose a game sometime the rest of the season because they need both of them to have eight wins if they want the chance to make the playoffs and I don't think that's gonna happen I don't know what to do now with Trey Lance being the quarterback for the 49ers but I don't think Niners would actually have to drop two because they're currently at eight wins as of this moment okay they'd have to lose to the 10 
Texans, which that's that's a thing. Rookie quarterback they have to lose to the Texans, and then they'd have to lose to the Rams. Who who knows how much the Rams value that Week 18 game? Obviously, we've seen Sean McVay's willing to rest players in Week 18. If they have the division locked up, they probably will rest. Let's say this is a de facto must-win game for the Vikings, with about 75 to 80 percent certainty. This is a must-win game for the Green Bay Packers or for the Minnesota Vikings, not the Green Bay Packers. The Packers, Packers, you could call it because they get to lock up the number one seed, but uh, they'd rather do it now than have to wait a week to do it. Yeah. Even though they play, I think the lions the last week of the season, which, Hey, do you want to fight those Dan Campbell's man Campbell out there in Detroit? I mean, there's there's only so much it can do for you. I don't get me wrong. I picked the lions against the Atlanta Falcons and I still covered the spread. So that's okay. Fun fact. If you're not listening to our fantasy football podcast, I'm on Ross St. Brown, four straight games with, 10 plus targets. Go pick him up. Go win a pick championship. Pick him up for your championship. I'm on Ross St. Pick Brown. Him up. Go grab pick him up for the championship game with Tim Boyle. Anyways, uh, Packers. Yes. Well, but while we keep shamelessly plugging stuff, I'll take the Green Bay Packers to beat the Minnesota Vikings, effectively eliminating the Vikings. And for, I think like the third or fourth straight year, finishing between seven, and nine wins for the Minnesota Vikings. Like, Hey, it's I been think I nailed that one. I think I nailed that record prediction. Way to go preseason me. Way to go, Juju. You picked the easiest team ever because the Vikings have just decided we're fine being seven and nine. We're not going to tank. We're not going to rebuild. We're just going to hope we draft a generational talent in the second round of the draft. And that's how we're going to get to 10 wins instead of seven. I don't know if the easiest team, I mean, the Lions were pretty easy too, but I think the tie really throws off my prediction. So damn it, football. Why do we have ties? Why are we still doing that? Come on. We don't want the college football model where you just do two point conversions over and over again. I wouldn't I know how to the solve old it. college football model. I kind of like the old college football, but then again, I also love that crazy 70 plus scoring effort between A&M and LSU not too long ago. Yeah, uh, but then they had to change the rules because they literally played like 220 snaps and the human body is not supposed to play that much football back to back. Hey, there used to be pitchers back in the day that used to have like 300 pitches on their arm in a game. I'm just yeah, saying, but the pussification, come on. They threw like 70 about? miles an hour and were changing chain smoking in the dugout different breed man different breed back then (laughs) when you have to go to world war ii at four and have a date job at six this is how we're going to solve the nfl's uh the nfl's overtime rules is that if after overtime it's still in a tie we just have a home run derby anyway we're both on the packers that's the end of that game analysis Let's move on into our next one. Who do we got? Who do we got? Who do we got? Uh, let's go just any, mini, miny, mo. Let's talk Raiders, Colts. Let's talk about the Raiders and Colts right I now. I was trying to think of something that rhymes with mo, and the only thing I can think of is Mahomes. So I kind of would have done it. Any, mini, yeah. miny, bro, Mahomie. Now, now we're going with Raiders and Colts. I made this decision. It is locked in. I think the Raiders are truly having the worst season that is not related to anything to do with football because we lost the legend folks. We lost the great John Madden. And probably the biggest thing that infuriates me is that there's going to be generations of kids that only correlate Madden with a mediocre football franchise in video games at this point. Now, Madden, one of the greatest of all time coaches, just in terms of when you look at his win-loss record, I think it's still a franchise record to this day for the Raiders. Obviously a Super Bowl champion, the voice of football for the longest time. Whenever you just thought football commentary, John Madden's voice used to just pop in your head. I wish I was greater at impression but you know i'm just thinking about a gap blitzes turduckins and boom and that was john madden there 
boom, we'll work that in here. We'll work that in. We'll work in a few booms here for the great John Madden. So rest in peace to a legend. So obviously one of the greats in Raiders history. Then you factor in everything else that has happened with the Raiders this year, whether it be Henry Ruggs or John Gruden, two of their most famous coaches in franchise history, obviously John Madden passes and John Gruden, you know, he's been executed by the court of public opinion at this current point in time rightfully so in some aspects but you know that's a different discussion in itself but yes just the Raiders they're just having a rough one man they're just having a rough one and it has nothing to do with their football when it comes to their actual football though they still have a chance at making it to the playoffs so maybe it could all be redeemed if by some miracle by some hook by some crook they make it to the playoffs and they have a good shot this weekend because well they're not facing Carson Wentz in the Colts they're facing Sam Ellinger in Colts so hook them hook them here Sam Ellinger may be the starting quarterback I should say maybe we are recording here on a Wednesday and I should just throw it out there because there has been the possibility floated online that Philip Rivers may get a game call for this game and does it, does it <laughs> yes. matter for the grand scheme of Raiders Colts whether or not he plays or Ellinger plays Ellinger is a gamer Ellinger can give you a game here and there of anything you look at what he's doing <laughs> I like preseason. that no I, I like that he's a gamer he can give you a game he can give you a singular game <laughs> We've talked about it. We talked about it with Tyler Huntley before he was ruled out last week. As the longer backup quarterbacks have to play, the worse they get. Sam Allinger, I think he could come out and actually put on a solid performance for the Colts this week. Obviously, the Colts, they're led by their defense at the end of the day. When you have the big guy like DeForest Buckner hitting that A-gap blitz, boom, Darius Leonard there just knocking out the fumbles, the you know just the most dangerous hands in the game, boom, when he comes in with that. The Colts, their defense leads the NFL in turnovers. So if they can just force a couple, they can play conservative ball. They could get the ball into Jonathan Taylor's Valley. It should be their pathway to victory here. Kyle, what's your analysis on this game? Uh, there is a chance that Darius Leonard will also not play because he, well, he didn't play the game on Christmas because he has COVID and is unvaccinated. So there's a chance he might not make it for this game as That's well. That's a big one there too with Carson Wentz unvaccinated. Actually too, there's another thing I should throw in here. The NFL. NFL and the NFLPA is currently talking about accepting the new CDC guidelines, which would move the 10-day window down to a five-day window. So if you're Carson Wentz, you have the possibility of playing at least against Jacksonville. So the Colts don't necessarily need this win, and they could probably even beat Jacksonville even if Carson Wentz doesn't play. But that's just something to keep in mind heading into this game. Yeah, and this is all leading me in the direction of the Raiders, which when I saw last week on the schedule that the 7-7 seven and seven Las Vegas Raiders were playing the 7-7 seven and seven Denver Broncos. I thought to myself, God, this game is terrible. But unfortunately, we have to care about this. And then Chargers lost to the Texans in the morning window. And I looked at my, uh, I looked at my calendar. It was around uh, 125 West Coast time. And I saw that that terrible Broncos and Raiders game was getting ready to kick off. And I said to myself, oh, crap, one of these teams might actually make the playoffs. Oh, no, please don't let this happen under any circumstances. But I do have to say, if one of these teams is going to be forcefully spoon fed to us, losing by 21 points against the Buffalo Bills or Kansas City Chiefs in wildcard weekend, at least it's the Raiders. At least it's not the godforsaken Denver Broncos. And we have to watch that terrible offense 
that can't move the ball to save their lives get demolished in a playoff game. And all of that is analysis and jokes to say that even though the Colts' entire offensive line is on the COVID-19 list, and even though Carson Wentz, unvaccinated Carson Wentz, has COVID-19 and will probably not play in this game, and even though Darius Leonard, best middle linebacker in the NFL, may not play for the Indianapolis Colts, there is still one principle that has rung tried and true across years and years of watching football, which is if you ever start to think that the Raiders are good, they are not. It is a trap. It is always a trap. I am picking the Indianapolis Colts to win against the Las Vegas Raiders and prevent the Las Vegas Raiders from having a winner go home game to make the playoffs against the Chargers. It will not happen. The Colts will win this game and the Colts will clinch a playoff spot. You know, I wanted to go with the Raiders just based off the standpoint of given all that tragedy that they've had experienced throughout the course of the season. I actually think it would be a good story. Would it be as good as the Miami Dolphins coming back from the dead this season to make the playoffs? Would it be as good as Justin Herbert in the playoffs? Would it be as good as, I don't know, the Ravens somehow Lamar just manages to whittle them in? The Raiders would have been an interesting story had they made it, but I'll I'll go with this principle based off our Miami Dolphins let me just sink further into my Colts and just say, hook them, Sam Allinger, baby. Let's go and get it. Let's get that victory. They don't need to sign that old man, Philip Rivers. Sam Allinger, you're back. You're back. You're starting. You're behind center. Let's get it. Jonathan Taylor, just, just give it to him. Just, just give it to him. That's a good principle for life when you're out there on the field. But Sam Allinger, use your legs and you'll get past it. But when it comes down to it, the Raiders, their game planning in the wake of John Gruden getting fired has just been so all over the place they built up a lot of equity earlier in the year with their record to begin with but ever since John Gruden was ousted as their head coach, it's put a lot of pressure on Greg Olson to have to come up with game planning. And Greg Olson is not a good oh, game planner. I love I love the name of the coach. Any chance I get a chance to say Rich Biscoccia, I like yeah, to say Rich, it. Rich Vespaccio. Yeah, he is not a good game planner either. In fact, it, it's gone to the point. So the uh, Raiders, they actually released their head coaching candidates list at this moment. And it just sounds like a lot of retreads. Here are the current favorites for the Raiders head coaching position. Todd Bowles, Wesley Frazier, Gus Bradley, Rich Vespaccio. So keeping it in-house. Those are the top four names currently standing out there at this moment. That's it? Yeah. That's it? At least excite Jesus. me, Raiders. Be fun. Get someone Do out there. Do more than that. that. Yeah, I mean, go interview some people. I, you know, I mean, Todd Bowles, he, he's getting talked about a lot for this one. And Todd Bowles knows? is the only good one there. Leslie Frazier, that's a terrible hire. Here's Gus Bradley, thing. that's because he's the defensive coordinator. <sighs> I think the Raiders need more help offensively now because I think that Rudin, again, was able to build up some decent fixes and tweaks for their offense to make Derek Carr make that offense go. And they really haven't had that. They've actually been really good defensively. They've been good I don't defensively know if that when you matters as much. I think it's just we know Leslie no. Frazier's not a great coach. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying in terms of their defense, they have defensive talent. And if you're able to retain Gus Bradley as your defensive coordinator, then you don't necessarily need to double down with a defensive head coach. If you could get someone that compliments Gus Bradley and you just build up a good staff, I think that's probably the way to go. And Rick Fispaccio, you probably even keep him as a good special teams coach there. They have a decent coaching unit. It aside from Greg Olson, that I think if they just kind of build that team around, they could actually be okay next year because it was looking good up until it wasn't for them. Uh, uh, you know, the, 
again, like they just had personal tragedy. And just from a football standpoint, disregard everything else. When you take out a talent like Henry Ruggs was from a team, that is a huge blow that we don't talk about. It's but similar, didn't they just, just like sub if, Deshaun Jackson in and kind of just keep yeah, it moving? He's, he's not as good. He's just not as good at the end of the day. I mean, he can still get open, but now it's also Derek Carr has kind of shrunk into himself. He doesn't take as much chances when Deshaun Jackson is open, but they were able to do so many different things with Ruggs that they're not able to do with Jackson. We talk about Michael Thomas uh just having one thing that he does exceptionally well Deshaun Jackson has that thing that he does exceptionally well but he doesn't have a whole lot of nuance to his game planning and where his rugs actually had that in his bag and you know and that's just a whole other thing but that's a whole other tangent there but either way Go check I out mean, the old slump buster podcast yeah, episode where we, we discuss the Henry Ruggs situation right we have rugs we have a whole segment on John Gruden you just want to go back to the archives and just see all the madness from the Raiders season to this point definitely we we covered it all we talked about it all on this one I I would say I feel like I was painted unfairly there in the in the light of the Raiders I'm not saying that the Raiders making the playoffs wouldn't be a fantastic story and they can do the rah-rah John Gruden thing in the last week of the season and take down the big bad chargers and make their second playoff appearance in 20 years i'm saying i don't want it because i know they're going to get slaughtered in a playoff game and i don't want you the raiders don't on want the screen it because in the you're a hater just accept I, who you are kyle just justin herbert hate. at least has a chance to pull it upset the raiders are going to get slaughtered by whoever they play in the playoffs that the, just like the dolphins are going to get slaughtered by whoever they play in the playoffs like the raiders are not good I'm tempering expectations for the seven seeds in the AFC and NFC regardless. So I'm prepared for a slaughter. Anything else I get at this point is gravy regardless of who makes it. Fair, but last year the Colts could have, should have, and would have beaten the Buffalo Bills if they had just been able to not get stuffed three times at the goal line and then allow Josh Allen to throw a 55-yard pass to Stephon Here's where the Dolphins making the playoffs is fun. If Tua makes the playoffs over Justin Herbert because Justin Herbert crumbled down the stretch, that should be a fun narrative to talk about all offseason, am I right? No, no, (laughs) Justin Herbert is better than Tua. No, don't don't make the throw up sound, man. That that kind of makes me kind of get into it. It's it's the whole thing. We don't want this whole thing turning into a stand by me. No, I'm getting I'm getting PTSD at the idea of having to do a Tua versus Herbert versus Burrow conversation. Oh, I, I think Burrow is starting to separate himself in that discussion. And that is why let's talk about Joe Burrow and the Kansas City Chiefs. Joe Burrow, 525 yards against that porous Baltimore Ravens secondary. Joe Burrow, 4,000 passing yards. Joe Mixon, 1,000 rushing yards. T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, both 1,000 yards receiving. Tyler Boyd, hell, might even sneak into that 1,000-yard discussion. The Cincinnati Bengals offense has been electric this year folks and Joe Burrow I think he's locked it in comeback player of the year I think he passed Dak Prescott I think he passed Nick Bosa Joe Burrow has been the engine behind this team and their success and yes the Ravens had all their injuries to have to deal with but the fact they were able to sweep both the Ravens and the Steelers for the first time since 2009 the Bengals are just having a great season but it all comes down to this for them and the fact they face a Kansas City Chiefs team that is on fire on their winning streak has just been now they're getting to the point where they're just blowing out people they've gotten that thing back in their bag as well they're they're blowing out people they just manhandled the Steelers out there beat up on the Raiders as they've done this season and even had that electric Thursday night game against the Los Angeles Chargers Chiefs are cooking now the Bengals 
they're cooking. I guess it really just comes down to who's more likely to have a disappointing performance on any given Sunday. The Chiefs are five point favorites on the road heading into Cincinnati in this one. I guess it comes down to me, like for a couple things, like Trey Hendrickson's health, I know is a big one. He extended also a streak for him too, uh, at least having a half sack in consecutive games, managed to keep that streak going from earlier in the season. Not quite the full sack streak that he had yeah, at one point. I think like it's like games 10 eight. games or something now. Something like yeah, 10 so games. Trey Hendrickson's been great for them. It, it just comes down to, the, can they enforce like the scheme that has been so effective against the Chiefs early in the year? I, I, I think I struggle with the Chiefs. I'm just trying to evaluate their level of competition in this recent run of games too because yes they, they've gone better we, we talked about the early parts of the streak where they're beating teams barely beating teams they're being the jordan love led packers the giants in there and those were close games and they were ugly Jack prescott without amari cooper and cd lamb yeah those games and then now they're getting this part of the stretch where the Pittsburgh Steelers have floated between being a good defense and being a bad defense at times. The Raiders have floated between being a good defense and a bad defense. And the Chargers just have a bad defense, too. That's something that should be said, too. The Chargers have a bad defense this season. The Cincinnati Bengals are more of a middle-of-the-road defense. Uh, They're a middle-of-the-road defense that's very good at pass rushing. They are very good in the pass rush. Their corners are okay. Chidobe Awuzie was a great free agent signing for them. But Jesse Bates is apparently a second-team All-Pro last year. I found that out just the other day. Uh, there was a great meme from um, when they released that those new jerseys and they did that photo shoot with all their stars. There were seven players in the photo shoot. I know one is Joe Mixon. I know two of them are white and I had no idea who Jesse Bates was. I'm like, I know he's in there somewhere. I just have no idea which one is Jesse Bates. He made second team all pro last year. So yeah, the, he's also in the secondary. The, their strength is in their passing defense, less strong in the rushing defense, which I believe the Chiefs can attack you both ways but I could be wrong because the Kansas City Chiefs offense has gotten in trouble with turnovers and then you get down and then you have to throw the ball more and maybe that plays into what the Bengals are doing better because you are correct the Chiefs have played a relatively weak schedule in the back end even though when they were three and four everyone's like "Uh oh the Chiefs might miss the playoffs because look at how hard their schedule is they were game I mean come on they did get blown out by the tight ends they did get get blown out by the bills there was some legitimate cause for concern Patrick Mahomes was throwing two months ago. yes and yeah. now they made the adjustments and one of the big things whenever i was proclaiming them dead at one point too was that they didn't seem like they were making the necessary adjustments because we know why their team is struggling and yet you're not fixing the one thing that your team is struggling with and credit to them their defense has been one of the biggest stories for them their defenses came on strong in their stretch of games their win streak here we're starting to see those players like um, Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew and all these guys that made big plays for them come on relatively strong. Corners, you know, have been actually surprisingly good, more or less. Yeah. I mean, after we got past that rough part of games. But yeah, no, no, back to your point. It's I think yeah. I think Kansas City is going to be just fine. Kansas City is the defense is stable enough now uh, when mentioning those players. I think one that's really stepped up is Frank Clark and uh, I have a nickname for him. No one else calls him it, but I call him the plumber because Frank Clark is the name of a plumber and he's been fantastic for them. He's had, a, I think, like five sacks in five games, if I remember correctly, but I, I could be wrong there. That one's just going off the top of my head, so I could be wrong on the stat there, but uh, Kansas City's defense has been stable enough. I will take the 
the drama out of it. And I will take Kansas City to win against the Cincinnati Bengals uh, because the Kansas City Chiefs are a better team than the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm just going to play the odds on this one. I'm not saying the Bengals can't win this game, but I'm playing the odds on this one and just saying, because instead of doing a toss up game, I'm like, well, the Chiefs are about 60% instead of 50%. So I'll take the Chiefs as a safe pick, which burned me last week on the Patriots because I knew the Bills were going to win. I picked them in the take it easy pick them pool. And yeah, all that happened. So I'll take I'll take Kansas City here this week. Well, this is the opportunity for the Bengals certainly to win the AFC North. Uh, that would be huge for them too. So I, I definitely think that they have a chip on their shoulder to want to play this game well. But one thing that kind of stands out to me, and this is just from the narrative of letdown games, uh, the fact that Joe Burrow did have that 525 yard passing day, had his kind of wink and nudge little thing in the press conference against Wink Martindale there where they're like, oh, you know, we're not ready to give Joe Burrow any gold jackets anytime soon. And he was like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of like took that bulletin board material and had a little fun with it. It's a young team, young teams that have these type of victories, have these type of explosive offensive outputs tend to regress the following week. The Chiefs are a little bit more mature in terms of their game planning. Certainly when you have a good coach like Andy Reid, you have a Hall of Fame level coach like Andy Reid. Well, I, I would go as far to say the greatest offensive coach in the history of the NFL. No love for Eric Coriel? I mean, he is a San Diego guy, but no Andy love for Reece, Bill Walsh. I, I love both of those guys, but Andy Reid, Bill Walsh did it for what, like eight years? Andy Reid's done it across 25 years. In but three I bet places. you, if you asked Andy Reid where he has like his head coaches or has his offensive coaches, he would probably say Bill Walsh is his top guy. You are probably correct. And he comes from the Mike Holmgren tree and all of that. I think there's, I think there's a level of respect there, of course, and admiration for the older generation as John Madden walks away. But I will be the youngin with no respect respect for the past who says Andy Reid across 20 years doing it across 20 years is the greatest offensive coach Sean Payton might even have a little bit of an argument against you here Sean Payton might even be a little bit upset at this Sean one. Payton Sean Payton did design the perfect offense and got the perfect quarterback for his offense and that is where they found all that success I will I will give Andy Reid the nod because he's done it with Donovan McNabb with Alex Smith and now with Patrick Mahomes and drafting Patrick Mahomes as well is like a big victory for him. But I will give the nod to Andy Reid. It's all it's a semantics argument, but Hall of Fame level offensive game planner against Zach Taylor, who we both agree. I have no idea if Zach Taylor's a good Zach Taylor, the up and coming. Am I right now? No idea. You're, you're you could for, be right. You're forgetting the real no best offensive game caller. You know, I'm talking Vince Lombardi with that power sweep, right? Unstoppable when properly blocked. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, but long way of saying long interjections here. Thanks, Kyle. Rude. Uh, to say the Chiefs are going to win this game. I would love to go against you, but like I said, this is a letdown spot. This is the Bengals riding high off sweeping a division rival, having one of their best offensive outputs of the year. This is kind of one of those things whenever we're joking about whenever a baseball team has a huge offensive output, like scores 20, 30 runs. It's like, Dan, can you save some runs for tomorrow? This is kind of how I feel about like the Bengals doing what they did against the Ravens. And that's why I think that them versus the Chiefs, this is going to go in the Chiefs' favor. And they're going to officially lock up the one seed. So good for you, Kansas City. The road to the Super Bowl goes through Arrowhead once again. Four years in a row. Four years in a row. So that leaves our last game as Cardinals-Cowboys. Okay, Cardinals-Cowboys is the main event here. All right, let's get to cracking here. So the... uh 
Arizona Cardinals, they have not had a good December, would you say? To lose to the Lions was one thing. Uh, losing to the Colts, that, that's, you know, more respectable at least. Um, losing the Rams, losing the division like they have. Yeah, this is not good as far as if you're Cliff Kingsbury and you're talking about what your next contract is. <laughs> if they continue to backslide here in December, what are the odds that Cliff Kingsbury gets his contract picked up? Uh, well, I think he's under contract for another year. I think it's just that he's eligible for an extension after this season. So most coaches don't coach on one year deals. It's kind of like an important level of security so that they don't make short sighted decisions. It's important to give a coach two years of job security. And I think at the very least, the Cardinals will extend him one year, but Cliff Kingsbury obviously wants a longer term extension. This is a weird purgatory that the Cardinals find themselves in is with Cliff Kingsbury being up on a contract and still feeling like you don't know the answer of whether he's the right guy for the job or not. It's it's a really difficult place because it's hard to evaluate teams where we know they have the golden arm child. We know they have the franchise quarterback for a decade, that this rare gift of a young quarterback that you know is going to be your quarterback for the next decade. Because last year, Anthony Lynn's game management was the thing that got him fired, and, and probably rightfully so. And the Chargers still won seven games. Like every other coach that got fired was like a bottom six team in the NFL. And the Chargers had like the 14 pick in the draft or something last year. So it's, it's always hard to do the evaluations because you know you're going to win the games. It's the same thing like we talked about in the Vikings and Packers game with Lefleur, where Lefleur has won 12 or more games in his first three seasons but we know he also has Aaron Rodgers. So winning 12 games, we know, you know, that makes you a, a good coach no matter yeah. what. I mean, but, McCarthy struggled. <laughs> of course, but if you're listing the best 10 coaches in the NFL, you might go like seven or eight or nine before you get to Lafleur, And that's like, we kind of just, it's, it's hard to do these evaluations because we just don't know. We don't have a large enough sample size. Let's do that real quick. Let's just have a little fun here. Ah, the Bill classic won. sports radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bill one, right? We're, we're yeah. probably unified in that. Okay. Andy, Andy Reid too. McVay. Mm-hmm. McVay. Yeah. McVay has to be up there. Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin. What do you uh, give Frank Reich? I feel like he's done an excellent job as the Colts head coach. There's a couple more I'd get to before him, but I'd probably get him right around where Lafleur is. So I would definitely do John Harbaugh. I would yeah, definitely get John him. Probably in there. get some love there. I'd get Sean Payton. Sean, yeah. Kevin um, James, good. Yep, Kevin James, who doesn't look like Sean Payton at all. They just gave him a Saints visor and put him in a documentary or a, a, a comedy, whatever it is that they're doing. Is it, a, is it a movie? Is it a TV show? I don't know. Pete Carroll is um, an interesting one, man. Pete Carroll's, Pete Carroll's a tough one. Pete Carroll's not on great terms, but I think body of work. Pete Carroll's Pete Carroll's right there with LaFleur. You could kind of pick and choose between those two. Pete Carroll's one of the, I should say, Pete Carroll body of work, one of the great coaches in the history of the NFL. I don't know if he's on the greatest like terms right now. If we're talking, yeah, 2021, Pete Carroll, the decisions he's making. Yeah, probably different perspective. I would still mark him as a top 10 head coach because now I'm just recognizing the talent deficiencies in Seattle. By the way, they officially got eliminated. So me as a Niners fan, whoop, whoop, Seattle eliminated. Yep. (laughs) well played there well played so so i'll put pete carroll there that's seven then sean mcdermott Eh, 
I, yeah. I'd go Lafleur then next, and then Frank Reich, and you can go down the list. I feel like I'm forgetting one person, but I can't think of it right now. But Bruce Arians, um, I mean, Bruce Arians, who's not coaching that's what right I was now. Bruce, yeah. Bruce, Bruce Arians, yeah, eight. he's consistent. What he did with the Cardinals, obviously, what he did with the Colts, and now what he's doing in Tampa. Yeah, Bruce Arians has earned his spot. I put there yeah, I put Bruce Arians, and then you can kind Bruce of Arians file might in be after top that. five at that point. Not over John Harbaugh. See, now Mike Tomlin's in a tough thing, but I guess you, you kind of just give, I mean, because he, yes, he can extend his streak of never having a losing season, but we know that the last three out of four seasons have been just mediocrity, coasting on mediocrity there. But I think that's more just the players around him than anything else. And I don't know how much I put on Tomlin for that See, one. But- here's one thing you have to add into this um, that kind of makes it a little bit tougher. CEO head coaches versus actual play callers. Yeah, that's a big part of it too, which is why I'm disappointed in the Raiders for their coaching list at the beginning for for similar type reasons is the CEO type. Like Pete Carroll, one of the great coaches of all time, but he doesn't do any play calling mid game or things of those sorts. John Harbaugh is the CEO, yeah. To bring it back to the Cardinals, I don't know what to do with Cliff Kingsbury because they have the golden arm child. And for the the game pick, I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys uh, to win and probably cover. I think it's like four and a half points in favor of the Cowboys or something like that. I think Arizona's problem more than anything else, because I know (laughs) as someone is who is now more ingrained in the Arizona Cardinals community as producing a podcast for SB Nation is that a lot of people are, are, are kind of looking at this year similarly to last year where the Cardinals kind of folded at the end of the season and missed the playoffs over the Bears. And that one feels less, I mean, Kyler Murray got hurt last year, but this year I'm looking at it like they just had so many key injuries that took them out of being near the top. Because the whole way, like even when they were undefeated, I'm like Packers probably still better than them. The, the Bucks probably still better than them. Rams kind of about the same. And now they've just suffered so many injuries to J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, Max Williams, two of their offensive guards throughout the season so far. Um, it's just been an unfortunate run for them. And by the way, they've had issues with Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, their last two first round picks where they're getting benched for some weird reason <laughs> with the defensive coordinator deciding to put players he had in Philadelphia like Jordan Hicks and, and there's another, I think, Wag or something or playing over them and it it feels like it's all falling apart there for Arizona and I think it's just going to be too much for them to overcome once push comes to shove and they have to play either the Rams or the Cowboys again in the playoffs as the five seed in the NFC. I could see your cause for hesitancy when it comes to the Cardinals now that they've given you reason to be concerned about them. Uh, And certainly with the injuries you mentioned, they are impactful injuries. And I think this goes into what I said last week, where I felt uneasy about picking a team to lose three straight games, particularly a team I consider good to lose three straight games, just as much concerned about picking a good team to lose four straight games. Uh, Then that's why I think I'm going to go with the Cardinals in this one, because when you just look at the Cowboys and their, their schedule they're just been picking apart the also rants of the conference of their division the fact that they're undefeated in their division this year it just feels like five six easy wins for them at this point they still have one more game to go against philly next week which they might lose because they might have just locked things up and don't care about that game at that point and that's why i, I think when i evaluate the cowboys i, I just honestly dismiss the washington football game on uh, sunday night <laughs> like I think that, that you're going against one of the league's worst defenses this year and you're going against the Giants the previous week. You should blow them out. You blow out the Washington football team the previous week again. Uh, you beat the Saints, who would just have an unexciting 
offense. Then you lose going back even further, you lose back to back games against the Raiders on Thanksgiving. And then you lose that Chiefs game, which was an ugly game and ugly performance there. How just even going further, I mean, they blow out the Falcons. Expected. Get their ass kicked by Denver. Unexpected. Yeah, weird game. Beat the Vikings. The Vikings on and off. Cooper Rush game out of nowhere has that big one. Gets a win over the Patriots before the Patriots start becoming really good. Beat up on the Giants again. Beat up on Carolina. Beat up on the Eagles. Win against the Chargers, who the Chargers, I mean, the Chargers could lose to the Texans. They could lose to Dallas. (laughs) So when I look at the schedule for the Cowboys, I'm starting to see the elements of a Fugazi team, a Fugazi team here, a little bit of a fraudulent uh, paper tiger, as I'm going to call these Cowboys. How fraudulent? do you think the Cowboys are fraudulent enough that they're the fifth best team in the NFC? You have to almost put them behind the Rams in a way, right? I personally wouldn't, but I understand the argument people would make for that. See, I haven't done my power rankings yet. They'll probably still be ahead of some teams there when I really kind of sit down and break it down. But when I pick apart this schedule, pick apart some of these wins and compare it to going against the Cardinals here, I think the Cardinals and Kyler still have like one more good game in them this season i don't think they're going to completely go into the playoffs on just a whimper and i think this is probably the one game that they'll do it against yes they could beat up on seattle in week 18 and it's probably who knows they might even care in seattle in week 18 because they might be locked into their playoff spot but i i think that this is just their chance to just make a statement before the playoffs that yes we're still a competitive team yes we still have some dudes on this team yes kyler's still good because that's a big thing for kyler he has to just say to the world i'm still good folks i'm still gonna be that 45 million dollar quarterback i'm still gonna be that dynamic under six foot dynamo that you've known me for the entirety of my nfl career i'm still the heisman trophy winner i'm that next guy this is just a spot in which i think that kyler cliff they're going to have their best game plan just to bite the nfl media that's writing their obituary right now the thing I have with the Cowboys and, I, and I've been trying to figure them out for a lot of the season and they've, they they felt like the same team for like 10 weeks or 11 weeks now. So it's hard to find new things about the Cowboys to talk about. But my point with them is that I can't find a flaw with them that makes them not an elite team. So Dallas has a really strong running game, a really strong offensive line, a top 10 quarterback, two very strong receivers, a really good pass rush with Leighton Van Der Esch and now Micah Parsons, and a secondary that's fine. It's not terrible. It's not as bad as it was the past three years, but it's fine. Their linebackers, not great. That's where a team can pick them apart. But I think they're good enough to stay in the game with everyone in the league. They might not win. They'll probably be underdogs against the Packers because the Packers can score at will more so than the Dallas Cowboys can. And the Cowboys get in trouble with punting and game managing and things of these sorts. But they can still stay in the game with anyone in the league. And that's something that I look at and say, only a really good team can do that. The Packers, I think, can beat every team in the league. The Buccaneers, I think, can beat every team in the league. The Chiefs, I know, can beat every team in the league any given Sunday. The Cowboys aren't quite that, but they can stay in the game with everyone. And that's something that makes me think that they're better than, I guess some people give credit for, I think I first take Mina Kimes had them as like the number two team, which might've just been for television sake. But I still think the fact they can stay in it with anyone means they're probably in that group of second round exit teams where they're not quite championship good, but if everything breaks their way, maybe they slip through the cracks and maybe they get to a conference championship and maybe something really weird 
happens where, you know, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers breaks his foot in the conference championship game or something weird happens like that. But I would still take Aaron Rodgers with a broken foot against the Cowboys. (laughs) You know how we've seen this script. We've seen how that book ends. Yeah. So the Cowboys, Cowboys are in that like five to eight group for me. And the Cardinals were in that group. But now I think they've been handed so many injuries that I, I think the Cardinals are probably a lesser team than the Cowboys. Hence the fact that they're five point underdogs against the Cowboys. I think it's just for the second straight year, like we were talking about with Baltimore a couple of weeks ago, just really shitty injury luck for the Arizona Cardinals is keeping them from making a, a potentially deep playoff run. All right. That's a wrap guy. So that's our one disagreement in the week, actually the Cardinals Cowboys game. So a lot's going to ride on that one. Like I said, I managed to pick up two games. The reason again, I didn't have you change that Cincinnati Ravens pick was, could you imagine if you got that win with Josh Johnson over me, it would have been such a meme for you. <laughs> I wanted to give you that opportunity, my friend, maybe we'll get that with uh, Sam Ellinger and whatnot this week, I guess, but <laughs> Nope, I refuse to pick the Raiders. Even though I knew you were going to pick the Colts, I still, on principle, can't pick the Raiders. Yeah, so a lot of just kind of like reading the opposition here. Which way are you going to go? What? You just kind of have to go with my cult theory of uh, hook them with Ellinger and uh, two and on for the win here. But all right, guys, well, we hope you enjoyed the episode again on the longer side, but hopefully you stuck with us here till the very end. If you did leave a like on YouTube, leave a five star on iTunes, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, guys hit that subscribe button as we are officially at 1900 plus subscribers. So closing in so close to that 2000 mark, watch you along for the ride, NBA, college football, MLB, NFL, we talk it all on this show, fall at Kyle Ledbetter. Follow Juju Talk Sports. Follow all our social media channels at Slump Us Podcast on IG, at Slump Us Your Pot on Twitter. Hopefully, you enjoy the content heading into the new year, especially on the new year, guys. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. And I guess we'll see you in 2022.